It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Alani Pello Saturday Sports Talk. We are with you until 11 o'clock this morning here on News Talk 1400 DWS. Feel free to give us a call if you like. Along the way, we've got several guests lined up for you, and, of course, the headliner always is Lauren B. Tate. <laughs> How you doing, Mr. Tate? Well, I hope we have good guests. <laughs> <laughs> we've got you in the saddle, as usual. Have you ever, maybe once, ever missed this show? Yes. One time? Yes, for, your, for Elizabeth's wedding. When your granddaughter got married, I remember uh-huh. that. Yeah. In 40 years, 40, yeah, almost 40, 41. Almost, almost 40, I'll be 41 in the fall, I think. I have to figure it out again. <laughs> started in uh, 79 when Larry Stewart was here, and then Jim Turpin came in in 80. Right. One show over all those times. That's You could look it up. That's got to be some kind of record. <laughs> <laughs> you ever never been sick? Well, you well, know, you've I've, been say you've I, had some. I, I've uh, thought about that since uh, the coronavirus came up. About maybe I would. I hate. I might have come in here with a touch of the flu and didn't realize that I shouldn't be here. Maybe I mean now that I, if that sort of thing happened now, I sure would miss it. Right. I, w- I mean, it would be an obligation to the people around here. But I never thought about it. No, I never worried about flu in those days. Now I do. You've come in a few times, as we all have, with the. Uh, the Maui Wowie or With the froggy voice, and <laughs> or no voice, or losing your voice, or whatever. Anyway, we've got uh, plenty to talk about today. We're going to talk Major League Baseball. Tom Ackerman will join us at 9.15. Kent Brown will stop by to tell us about all the preparations at the University of Illinois, trying to get back to uh, somewhat normal procedures in the fall. Jason Hegemeyer We'll check in with us at 9.45. He's the ticket manager, associate uh, AD and ticket manager. If you have any ticket questions, that would be a good time to listen up or even call in. At 10 o'clock, leading off the uh, second hour, Will Leach, national columnist, Illinois graduate, will check in with us. And then Lauren's going to go down memory lane with a couple of guys with uh, Phil Judson of the Judson Twins, played back in the mid-50s, and Herb Gerke, who played on two Final Four teams for the Illini and for Pekin in the state tournament. Yeah, he he had about imagine that four seasons in the final four, in those final four of the state tournament twice, with the Pekin Chinks, by the way, yeah. which they're long since given up that nickname, and uh, of course the Illini who have long since given up their chief Illiniwick. So that's our lineup. We've got time in between for your phone calls if you'd like to join us. Let's talk a little bit, as we will, with Tom Ackerman in about 10 minutes. Uh, baseball getting set to start. Players are going to report uh, July the 1st for summer training or spring training, training 2.0, whatever you want to call it. And uh, with a scheduled start date of July 23 and or 24, the big question, I think, is still, will it actually happen? Well, I, yeah, I, I, I think that... Uh we have to worry about more outbreak. When you see 37 football players at Clemson 
that have tested positive, I don't know how many of those have since been cleared. I mean, how many of those had it and, and didn't know it? I mean, I, I, I don't think we've had anything serious there as far as we know. I mean, certainly no one has died, but um, 37 is a big number. And if you, if you, if you have a rash in, uh, with a f baseball team, that's going to really make it difficult to play. Haven't seen the uh, schedules yet, but uh, the Cardinals and everybody will be playing somebody relatively close by. Yeah, I would get. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the White Sox and the Cubs didn't open against each other, since mm -hmm. they're right there. Maybe the Cardinals and the Royals. Yeah, because there's going to be 20 interleague games in that 60-game uh, stretch. I wonder how many games you need to win to make the playoffs. <laughs> I think Vegas had had the Yankees winning 37 games, which I thought was a little bit low. You'd think maybe somebody might be able to win 40 of 60. In a short stretch like this, so you, you know, if you get on a streak, you could, you could have a higher percentage of wins that you would norm, than you would normally have if you play 150 or 160 games. I mean, there, there's just a big difference there. Can you get to 20 games? more games. <laughs> yeah, can you get to 20 games over 500 in 60 oh, games? Oh, wow, yeah. You can, but not too many teams will do that. But certainly there's no room for a slow start. No, sir. And what, as for, and we can talk to Tom Ackerman about this as well. Pitching rotations, there's all kinds of things to think about. Why not, I'll ask Tom, but why not go with a six-man row if you're the Cardinals and you got what you think are six starting pitchers, mm -hmm. go with a six-man rotation. Might as well. Give them ten starts each. Yeah, yeah, that would work. And then uh, let them go as long as they can and pull the well, bullpen in. Well, Steve, you brought up the – concerned that maybe they won't you know something will happen and they might not even get started I heard Sarah Spain say this morning as I was driving over I just flipped over to her to see what she had to say and she said she wasn't convinced that either basketball or baseball would actually go through with it that something would happen and I just mentioned to you that that uh, college football's got a problem right now the Patriot League is not going to allow athletes back until the student body comes back the Patriot League's got schools like Bucknell and Lafayette and Fordham. We've heard of those schools. They're, you know, they're not, they're FCS, not FBS. But they play Syracuse. They play Army. They play mm -hmm. Navy. And those games may be canceled because they won't have time to practice if they don't allow the football players to precede the student body. They won't be able to practice and play the games in September. And right now, that's where they are. They've made a statement on it. They're not going to be back until the students are back. And with the NBA, they're going to Florida. Oh, boy. And what's one of the hot spots right now? Yes, it is. Florida. Yep. They're going to be in a bubble, so to speak, there at, at Disney World. That's a little different. It is a little bit different, but <laughs> a lot of the uh, players are wondering now whether they want to get involved in it. And Well, I, I tell you what, it's a tough thing if you've got a family – uh, and you have to be away from them for two and a half months or whatever it might happen to be, depending on how far you go in the playoffs. But uh, I, I, we just have to take this thing one step at a time. That's what the University of Illinois is doing right now. They're, they're taking one step, and, and then they'll take the next step when that time comes, and we'll see if we can get to a football game. Yep. Kent Brown will be here at 930. Some fascinating discussions we had with Kent earlier this week about the, the, the many things that are going on. and. Yep. Again, this is all new ground. You're trying to prepare for regularity in an irregular time. That's a good and point. It, and it may not happen that way. And uh, so nobody knows what the new normal is going to be. There's still talk of maybe football in the spring. And uh, 
there's a lot to be decided and a lot can change quickly. Look how, look how much has changed in the last 30, 40, 50 days. Yeah, and it, it'll change in the next month too. And, and, but I'll, as I said, uh, they just have to take one step at a time, which they are doing, and they are, they're in a voluntary training right now. All the football players are not here. Not all of them, most of them, and I don't know the ones that aren't because nobody <laughs> has uh, been willing to say who's not here. Uh, maybe we can get Kent to talk about that a little bit, but I, I think most of the regulars that seem to be here when, when, uh, when we've heard discussions about the team, they've talked about the offensive line with Lowe and Green and Palshevsky all back and Kramer back, and we know the quarterback, Peters, is back, and we know that the, some of the running back, we, we know that uh, – Certain players are, they say Hanson and, and Tolson are leading the defense and they're the linebackers, they're back. So we think that most of the guys are back, but there are some that aren't. On the basketball side, some of the uh, incoming freshmen arrived this week. Yeah, we got another one coming in. Lee. Yep, Brandon Lieb out of Deerfield. Deerfield. Yeah. Seven-footer, 215 pounds. What a week it was for him. Yeah. He got an offer. He verbally committed and he signed <laughs> all in the same week. Kind of a Monday, Wednesday, Friday thing. Yep. Yeah, he comes from a, an athletic family. I know he's got a brother that played basketball and, and, a, and a brother that played football collegiately. And uh, he is a seven-footer. On This is clearly a, a on-the-come uh, choice. He might redshirt this year, and he might not be able to because Illinois is not exactly strong at that backup center position, assuming Kofi comes back. So I'm not sure. Uh, we won't know until later whether he's actually going to play, but – Long term, I mean, that's that's why that's, that's what recruiting is, Steve. It's 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 trying to project how a guy's going to be down the road. I just saw where a five-star player transferred today. He was a five-star player. So what? He didn't turn out to be that in college. So here's a guy that averaged 13 points in a game, nine rebounds a game for Deerfield, and wasn't being recruited a month ago by anybody really. He was going to go to prep school, mm -hmm. but I think they see him uh, as a guy on the come. And uh, it's worth a chance. You've got 13 scholarships. You might as well, you know, if you're going to use uh, the last one, you might as well take somebody that, that might be good down the road. Wisconsin's had pretty good success with this kind of yeah. guy. Frank Comiskey, the Big Ten player of the decade. Can you believe, would you have voted for him? as play? I w That surprised me. I'm not saying it was a bad choice. I just, I was caught, by, uh, caught off guard by it. I, w I don't know that I would have picked him, but he was awfully good. He was. 9-12 is the time. We mentioned one of our guests coming up a little bit later on, uh, Herb Gerke, who played uh, on those uh, teams. Max uh, Hooper played with them, right, mm -hmm. in that same – and he died this week, right? That's correct. In fact, his obit is in the news mm -hmm. that today. And um, I knew Max very well, and uh, he was a great supporter of Chief Illini Wick, and he uh, was a great supporter of the Illini uh, program. Uh, he, w he worked with Dick Martin. He actually was on the, on the radio with Dick Martin for a, for a time. Did he, did he cover some high school games on the radio? Not that I know of. We had a text He's question asked about that. Was he a broadcaster on the uh, IHSA games? I don't think so. Maybe they're confusing that with working with Dick on the... I'm, I'm not going to say for yeah. sure. I don't remember that he ever did anything in high school on high school games, but... He was uh, he 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 didn't uh, live in Champaign. He he was in Chicago while working for Ruck Steger in mm -hmm. insurance, which everybody that ever played any sport at Illinois, <laughs> including me, have 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 interviewed with Ruck up there about going in and I almost did, but uh, I decided not to. 
9.13. We'll take our first time out on the Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We'll turn our attention to um, Major League Baseball. Tom Ackerman, Sports Director at KMOX in St. Louis, will join us when we come back. Stay with us here on DWS. Nine sixteen, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly with you until... 11 o'clock, 356-9397 is the phone number if you'd like to join us. Going to talk some Major League Baseball now, we hope. With, well, we know we're going to talk about it. We hope we're going to see it. <laughs> Tom Ackerman from KMOX in St. Louis is with us. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you feeling down in St. Louis? Do you think this is really going to happen? Well, it is happening. Uh, the players are being tested for COVID-19. They, the first round of tests were scheduled for Friday, 48-hour quarantine for them until they get the results. Then there's another round of tests Monday, 48-hour quarantine for them. And if all is clear and the players clear to practice, they uh, will be able to start working out. July 1st would be the uh, chance for them to start working out july 3rd is the first full team workout and then uh after that july 23rd and 24th would be opening day we don't have the schedule yet but we will and after that you know you get between those two dates you get three weeks to work out and it really as john mosaloc said on wednesday when he was talking about this it's really up to the players you know do if we're going to have baseball it is up to the players to take uh, everything seriously. And what he means by that is, what do you do when you're not at the ballpark? They think they can control things inside the ballpark. If you have a temperature, if you're showing symptoms, you're not going to be allowed in. Uh, if uh, you know everything is, it will be practiced social distancing and all the restrictions in place, and they'll, they'll be able to do that. They have a, a plan in place for inside the ballpark while these players are working out. But it's outside the ballpark. It's when they go back to their residence. It's when they go uh, out beyond that. Where do they go? Are they, if they're putting themselves at risk, they put the entire team at risk. When they travel, when they go to Chicago and Milwaukee and, and Cincinnati and they hop on a plane and they go into a hotel, where do they go after that? You know, so all of those things are, are going to have to be followed, and it will really be a daily thing. And then from there we kind of figure out if – if everything is working okay for them and they can continue to play, they'll play. That's really what it comes down to. You mentioned a 48-hour quarantine when they check in. Where do they do that? They don't send the players that live in St. Louis back home, do they? They they have a hotel there for them or what? Right, yeah, they would all have. So whether they have their own residence here or a hotel, uh, that's where they would do that. So they have a location where they're doing the testing and then they're going back. Uh, after that test, they go back for 48 hours and wait for the result, and then they can go back into the ballpark. So everybody going into the ballpark has uh, their temperature taken, and you know, so it's and this is they're going to have the full staff. They're going to have the clubhouse staff. Uh, they will have 60 players on the roster by tomorrow. Tomorrow's the deadline for for finishing your 60-man roster. But only 44 of those players will be here in St. Louis. The other 16 will go to Springfield, Missouri, and play in a what's basically like a taxi squad. So they will be working out um, 
at the minor league facility there. That's where the double-A Springfield Cardinals are. Beautiful stadium there, Hammonds Field and Springfield. I uh, love it there. That's where they'll be down there. So that's that's kind of how it works out for now, and, and none of us have ever gone through anything like this. So we're all kind of taking the information day by day and going with it. Tom, how often will they take tests after after this begins? Let's just say they start practicing as a team uh, in those days between the 3rd and the 23rd. How often will they be tested then? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that, but there there are tests um, between there, yes. So they will be tested again. Um, and But I'm not sure. I don't know that that has been said totally how many or what the interval is, but there is a protocol for that. Um, there's also, you know, what if a player shows up with symptoms? Mm-hmm. So that player will not be allowed inside the ballpark, um, and then they will have they'll have a set protocol for that as to you know what what that player does then after a test a, a quarantine period um, and go from there. What's the if rules? They do in- get a, a if they get a positive test, then they will have another you know another sure. situation on their hands and try to go from there. But they they do they have. Uh, they have a protocol in place. They do have a plan. They are working on that internally. And that's something that a year ago we didn't think we'd have to be dealing with, that's for sure. We thought, I mean, gosh, it's June 27th. We'd be uh, heading towards the 4th of July and kind of knowing what this team is right now, you know. And now we don't even know the start of the season yet. So, anyway. What's the status with the families? I mean, can can they have family? Can the families uh, be with the players? I mean, uh, back I mean, when they leave the ballpark, can they go back to their family? Uh, if they leave the ballpark, can they go back to their families? Yes. Um, they do have a. So the Cardinals also have a contact tracer. So let's say that that one of the players or a staff member tested positive, um, they w- they have a contact tracer um, that they can obviously trace where that person has been and who they've been with and who else is positive, et cetera. So I hope that answers your question. But they, they do have yeah. that plan in place. So they will know who is with who uh, at all times. And that's That's something that has been made pretty clear. And as far as fans at the ballpark when the games start, will anybody be allowed in? That's a good question, too. I think I think this. Right now, the Cardinals, I can speak for what I've heard from the Cardinals. So they are going to play in front of no fans. Okay. But if down the road restrictions are lifted to where fans would be allowed inside the stadium, the president of the team, Bill DeWitt the third, told me that they would they would do that. They would have fans inside the stadium if allowed to do it. And that's again following federal, state, city guidelines. There's a lot that they have to to do. So they are planning if that were to happen, what that would look like and where the fans would sit and how it would be uh situated and how they would bring people in and out of the park. Um that is being talked about. Also, the other thing you have to do there is who gets the tickets. Right? Mm. So the Cardinals draw 45000 a game. They have a very large season ticket base. How do they 
do that also. So that's being discussed. There's no policy at the moment. That is also being discussed. So plans are definitely being, and these are plans only. In case they had fans inside the ballpark, what would that look like? The Cardinals absolutely will be prepared. Talking to Tom Ackerman, sports director at KMOX. Let's go on the field and talk about some uh, situations there. The designated hitter is in play in the uh, National League. How do you think that sizes up for the Cardinals? I don't like it, no. Uh, <laughs> actually, actually I, I don't like it, but I am dealing with it. Uh, I think that it actually is – I think the Cardinals are well-equipped for it. I think the obvious answer is Matt Carpenter because it allows you to play Tommy Edmond at third base. Edmond's a very good fielder, a good ball player. You hate to keep him out of the lineup. So you'd have to – You'd have to think that Matt Carpenter is the first option there. But there are others because there is a battle for left field right now. I'm assuming that Dexter Fowler is your right fielder and Harrison Bader is your center fielder. You have three very good players that could play left field. One of them is their super prospect, Dylan Carlson. The other is Lane Thomas, who is a, a kind of a do-everything type player. And then you have the big slugger, Tyler O'Neill who is a good defensive player, but he, he's really all about power. I think he fits that pretty well. I think he could be a good DH for them. But Lane Thomas could also. You know, if I had my choice, I would – if I thought Dylan Carlson was one of my best three outfielders, I'd play him all the time. Uh, I really like his play. I just think he's terrific, and he can play all three outfield positions. He, he's very valuable there. I'd rather have him available – uh, to start and then Lane Thomas actually fits one of those who could come in as a fourth outfielder perhaps and wouldn't have to be the DH but he could be the DH then the other two options that I have well there's there's another one Brad Miller who's a, a good infielder has some pop uh, Matt Weeters, their backup catcher has some pop he'd, he'd be a nice DH for you if you needed it but I really like uh, the first baseman so Ron Hell Ravello won't be able to play a lot of first base because there's a good one there at Paul Goldschmidt. So Ravello can hit. He has terrific exit velocity. He can slam the baseball. And I think that he fits sort of that Jose Martinez type uh, situation where his only position is first base, really. Goldschmidt's going to play first base, so Ravello is the guy. However, I would not be opposed to seeing Goldschmidt as the DH once in a while. You know, Goldie had a sore elbow in spring training when he was throwing. If that were to start to flare up again, and he's been getting treatment for it down at Jupiter, but if that were to start to flare up again, I would not be opposed to having him pop in there as a DH once in a while. What a luxury that is to have Paul Goldschmidt as your designated hitter and give him a day or two off first base. So it's just some things to consider, but I think the Cardinals are deep there and, and do have some options. They're not the best offensive team in the National League, but they have a lot of options for DH, I think. Well, when you look at a 60-game season, regular season, it's a sprint. So there's no room at all for a slow start, and the Cardinals have been uh, notorious sometimes, as many teams have, of getting off to a slow start, but you can't afford that this year. No, you cannot. You know, the Washington Nationals were 19-31 and 31 through 50 games yeah. last year, went on to win the world championship. The Cardinals, around 50 or 60 games, were about a 500 club, to your point. So it is a sprint to the finish. What does that do for the Cardinals? How does that change their mindset at the trade deadline? That's interesting to me. You know, what? now they've always been about development, consistency, winning, but development being a big part of their formula. 
But what do they do if they think that this is a year where maybe they could make a trade on August 31st that betters their team to win the sprint? How much do they value that? You know, hey, I'm not – I had a friend of mine, a diehard Cardinals fan, who's down in the dumps about these players – owners player negotiations saying you know i what do you think i mean if the cardinals were to win the world series you know does that is it an asterisk does it count i'm like you're darn right it counts you put that thing up there man are you kidding me a 60 game everybody's on the same playing field it's a level playing field 60 games and and sprint to the finish it's going to be crazy to see who comes out of that if you were to emerge as the best team after that you proudly wave a world championship flag. So what do the Cardinals do in that regard, and how do they make themselves the strongest team? Personally, I think they have the best team in the National League Central right now because of their pitching. Their pitching depth is superb, and I think that that helps them, especially with all the arms they have late in the game. So they could be at an advantage there. But yeah, I mean, you got to you have to get off to a good start, or you're going to get left in the dust. If there's a team that gets off to a good start and separates itself, they are absolutely at an advantage. But I do think it's going to come down to you know five or six teams maybe fighting for one or two spots, uh, and and it'll make for a fascinating race. You mentioned pitching, and and I'm wondering about Reyes and anybody else that uh, that's making a comeback. Uh, what's the status as far as you know of, of is everybody ready to throw a hundred percent? Just about. I mean, I think they, your, your rotation is not going to include Reyes. Uh, it, it's going to be Flaherty and Hudson. It's going to be Michaelis and Martinez and Wainwright, but you could also have KK Kwong Young Kim can be in there as well. Mm-hmm. We have a really good starter in Daniel Ponce de Leon, who certainly could he'd be a big league starter on any other club? You have a couple of lefties, Henesis Cabrera. You have Austin Gomber. Um, you know, John Gant told me back in January he wants to crack at that rotation, so he'll be in the mix as well. You got a lot of arms, but Alex Reyes has that uh, electric stuff that could end up being late in the game for you, middle to late innings. He could end up closing some games for you. I would imagine that if. If uh, it works out that way for him, you know, my understanding is he's throwing and things are looking good. He threw in spring training and felt good. Um, I'm I'm pretty happy with what I hear. You know, of course, you also have the Jordan Hicks possibility of coming in and, and getting things done. They have a lot of options to close, but I would put Reyes right in that mix. I think that um, he could start, yes. Personally, I think if they want to keep innings down, he could be a late-inning reliever. But he could end up being somewhere in the middle, too, because this is a different kind of season, and maybe it's valuable to have someone who can hold down two or three innings for you. Alex Reyes fits that role also. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't rule him out of, of being part of this mix. That's Tom Ackerman, sports director at KMOX. By the way, Tom, our next guest after our we get done with you and take a break, is Kent Brown, who is a big Cubs fan, and he kind of rolled his eyes when you said the Cardinals are the best team in the division. So we'll give him some equal time when, uh, when well, we're I done. Said it, I mean, I, I said it with full knowledge that at least half your audience. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
I'm not. I know exactly what I'm doing in that. And, and, I, <laughs> and I just, I was wondering, is there anybody sitting there or anybody nearby who, probably, you know, one of your, one of your great people there in the studio or anybody else? I know that uh, that the Cubs fans have to put up with Cardinals fans, but <laughs> guess what? We had to listen to it in 15 when you knocked us out, 16, 17, 18 when the Cardinals didn't make the playoffs. The Cardinals are back. And they are back as a as a fighter in the National League Central. So you know the rivalry's on. I love it. You know what? Just let's just play ball. <laughs> See what happens. All right. <laughs> That's right. Hey Tom, thanks. Appreciate it as always. Thank you guys. You bet, Tom Ackerman, thanks, Tom. KMOX in St. Louis. We'll take a break and be back with more. We'll talk some Illinois athletics with Associate Athletic Director Kent Brown in just a moment. Stay with us. 9.35, Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. 356-9397 is the phone number. Kent Brown, Associate Athletic Director at the U of I, is here. Not much going on these days. You're kind of <laughs> kick, kicking back summertime. <laughs> I wish I was kicking back. <laughs> I know you guys know this. I just went through a move, cleaned out my cleaned out our house, and, and uh, closed on it yesterday in St. Joseph. And so we're... We're homeless right now, uh, but all our stuff's in storage. And But the, the stretch run on any time anybody's moved, as you know, and we had a big house and we had a lot of stuff. And so the stretch run was a was a sprint. And so I needed yesterday afternoon just to take a breath. And I'm kind of looking forward to not packing boxes for a little <laughs> while. So. Plus, we're all doing stuff we, we never thought we'd be doing. And you're getting ready, as you always do this time of year, for a football season. But it's shaping up to be unlike any other we've ever seen. Yeah, you know, um, when when the world changed, and I, I, I point back to Friday, March 13th, is kind of the day that everything, it, that Thursday, Friday, was everything fell apart, right? And, Just and happened the world, to be a Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, right? <laughs> and so, um, you know, we all knew things were changing. And, and so, you know, back in May, there was a lot of discussions already starting about what things would look like um, should we – be able to start playing games and stuff again. So there's a there's a lot of people in within the athletics department and around the Big Ten and around the country who are planning on on what things are going to look like when we come back. And so um, we continue to plan. We continue to plan for what things look like right now, knowing that things change quickly and things have changed quickly over the last two and a half three months. And over the next two and a half months, it's going to change again. So, you know, we, we plan for what we know now, knowing that there's going to be a, things could change significantly moving forward. So um, everything from parking lots to entrance to the stadium to ticketing. I know Jason's going to be on a little bit. and He can answer a lot of the ticketing questions. But, yeah, it's, there's a lot of planning going on. And, and it's not just football. It's soccer and, and volleyball, too, really, the, to, to – as as priorities because those are the fall sports and uh you know the first thing was to get the kids back on campus and in a safe way the testing system and and get them uh in you know back on campus to workouts the the voluntary workouts and those schedules have changed you know if you've been you've i'm sure you've been following it you know the ncaa set some guidelines down of uh, when people could come back and and what those rules are and then there's a pre-season schedule now that the that the NCAA is kind of Division One Council is uh, offered up for how to schedule your team for some on-field stuff. So. Has that been going smoothly? We had Randy Ballard on a couple of weeks ago, but that was right at the beginning of it. Yeah, no, things continue to be uh, to work very smoothly there. Um, it's so 
um, I don't think there's been any surprises or anything, but I think, you know, they've, they will be adjusting little tweaking here and there as, as they come. The next big group is women's basketball and, and, um, and volleyball, soccer, and all those, you know, will be, will be coming back. And, and so those are the types of things, you know, this next wave, there's another wave that will be coming in here very soon. Uh, Kent, uh, how many football players are here, or, or should I ask how many are not here? Members I, we've got over 70 players back right now. Of 100? <laughs> Basically. Are you, counting, are you counting the walk-ons and everything? Yeah, uh, you know, and, and some of those people wouldn't come back till a little bit later, closer to camp. Anyway, uh, there are, there's a group that was considered maybe a little higher risk uh, just because of their uh, underlying, could be underlying health issues or things like that, that they push back um, to, to come in a little bit later and uh, and, and as that keeps being adjusted, but we've got basically 70 to 75 athletes on campus right now. Is this essentially, I mean, I, the starters, I mean, we, we, when we talked to, to Lou Hernandez and others uh, that we've talked to, they seem like they, they've kind of run, run down a list of the guys that are really looking good, and, and it's most of the regulars would appear to be back. That's, I think that's correct. That's accurate. And uh, the, the, Maybe the I don't want to, I don't want to start because you know there's still opportunity to sure. to find their spot on the team and yeah. uh, during camp and all those type of things. But there's a lot of returning players, um, and, and and now we've started to see obviously a lot of the newcomers have started to come on campus, and um, so there's a it's a it's probably the the primary group uh, get most of the playing. Well, time. we'll have to concede that the, that Illinois has got more guys we know about than almost anybody in in the Big Ten in terms of players returning that we knew were going to be starters this year. We, the, the lineup is pretty solid. Well, we didn't have many seniors, right, the last uh -huh. year. We so got 25 last, seniors yeah, this year, or yeah. did have. I don't know how many you got right. now. But. So, yeah, no, it's, you know, that was the, you know, that's why the spring was going to be so important because yeah. you, you pretty much had a, a good lock-in on who your front-line guys were going to be. And so developing that depth and increasing, you know, improving that front-line even better. So missing out on that was, was, a, was a big deal. Well, how are you going to treat the media this year in the in the in the press box? Are you starting to figure out anything on that? You know, we keep talking. We have uh, biweekly meetings with the uh, our Big Ten counterparts, and we're all going through the same questions and how we're doing that. And I, I hesitated to jump too too far in front because, as we all know, things have continued to change, right? And um, so we have a plan to uh, socially distance seating uh and which would certainly diminish our capacity in the press box um and so we will have to probably limited on that uh we're looking at field access um right now we're probably not going to have uh any uh media on the field at all and so we would probably have a uh and probably of our own photography group three or four photographers and and it would be a pool photography. Anybody could pull photos out of it if they wanted. Same with the video part of it with our video staff and Daryl Miles and his staff. Um, so it's trying to really, and this is, that's a pretty uh, general, that's, that's, that's pretty standard right now is that almost everybody's going to say, we're not going to allow anybody extra on the field. Um, but the press box, you know, we're still working about it like our, our broadcast booths and, and we're still talking about how that's going to work out. Our stats booth is, is one that's got several people in it and they're uh i don't you know i hate to call out age you know but they're all part of that age group that becomes a lot more highly susceptible and uh 
And so I'm familiar with that. Group. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> and so, um, you know, how are we, we're, we're still kind of working through that plan, but, um, so yes, we're, we're, th- we're working on it. We're thinking about, it. we don't have anything final yet, but, um, you know, our post game press conference will probably be different. We may you end like up a doing, zoom? we're probably going to do some kind of a zoom or some kind of a video virtual press conference so that, uh, we keep media out of the, uh, locker room area and the in the Smith Center and the well as far as you know complex. is TV going to be just like it was planned long range I mean if, if everything goes forward your TV contract you have um, there be well, no when change you say, when you say just like it has been okay so well so I mean on the same channels and, and yes. the same games being broadcast if if we're playing games our, our television partners are the same. And, and so your TV income is what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah the revenue would, driven off that. And, yeah. and if things were changed, I'm sure there would be some kind of negotiation or sliding scale. But, but right now, everything is moving forward as if that would be in place. And when you say, well, everything with TV, the fan at home would probably never notice mm-hmm. any changes. At the stadium, we would notice there would be fewer. They would probably bring f- a lot fewer people. They may do the announcers. At, at the studio in Chicago, say Big Ten Network has, and they've done this before where they've had, uh, we call them micers, where the announcers are watching the games on the different monitors inside the studio and calling the game. Um, and the just only thing in, on site is our cameras and, and uh, uh, some production uh, personnel in a smaller truck. And that's all the, the videos uh, is zapped back to, the studio and where they produce it and do it replay and all that sort of thing. So um, fans at home hardly ever notice any difference. Um, it, you can tell sometimes if you know, because the announcers don't quite see everything, right? You can't see everything. So um, so anyway, those are some things that will probably likely, likely happen. I know the ESPN reached out. They're looking for additional bandwidth for, uh, uh, for their signal that if they were here, you know, what, how – because that those video, the HD video, takes a, an incredible amount of bandwidth. Can they get that out of here and back to Bristol uh, to produce a show? And you know, we found that we can. We have we have Blue Waters right across the parking lot. I said, man, <laughs> we have the fastest, one of the fastest computers in the world right across the lot. Can't we just run a cord over and just send it through that? There you go. <laughs> back to the sidelines. There's a lot of people on the sidelines. Yeah. What does that do to the cheerleaders, the band? Still, still undecided. And I know that the the the, the band specifically is something that uh, we were just uh, talking yesterday, and uh, Josh knows that this is on the minds of all the athletic directors. It's brought up regularly about how to handle our bands and. Well, that's um, a problem. It is. And so uh, will they be allowed on the field? Will they just be in the stands? Uh, those are some questions that are coming up. And so um, that's that's being discussed, and they're still trying to get their hands around that as a, as a conference. How do you social distance a band? You can't. Yeah, can it, you? It's really impossible. I mean, they could take up the whole north end zone if they were uh, to, to do that correctly. Um, the, uh, the cheer squad, you know, is there a space? Is there space where they could do that where they would not be – uh, near the athletes because they're going to spread out the athletes right now. You can go from 25 to 25. That's your, that's your box on the sideline. Um, and they want right. Everybody spread out. They want people spread out. If you're not in the game, they understand there's going to be, it's impossible not to be close contact, but if you're not in the game, they want you to spread out down there. So, um, all the, uh, a lot of our visitors that we've taken down to the field, to the sidelines, probably not going to happen. Our cheer, cheer squad's going to probably be moved. They may be, put somewhere else where they're not right next to the where the team's at um there's a lot of those type of things that are 
certainly still being discussed, and we don't have final answers on a lot of that yet. We've got more to discuss on this topic. We'll get Jason Hegemeyer on the line and talk about ticket situation in just a moment. Kent Brown will stay with us. Hope you do, too. We'll be back in just a moment. Lodi Pellet Saturday Sports Talk rolls on here on DWS at 948. Kent Brown is in the studio. Jason Hegemeyer is going to join us in just a moment. But uh, Jimmy has been hanging on during the break. Jimmy, what's on uh, your mind on this Saturday morning? Well, I'm just curious about Max Hooper passing away. Uh, and uh, mo- most of the older guys, that are, if they're on here with us, uh, remember his set shot. Was that called a set shot or what? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it would be. Uh, it was. It was an overhead, overhead shot. Uh, uh, what did Dyke Edelman call that shot, Kent? What was that shot called? Uh, kiss shot. Yeah, the kiss shot. Kiss shot. shot. That's what uh, Edelman had a kiss shot. I, Hooper's wasn't exactly a kiss shot. It was more of a jump shot over his head. Yeah, but he didn't jump, did he? No, nah, no. Nah, it was. A, it's a more of a set shot. You're right. Yeah, and then. Who who other players? I'm 82, Lauren, about about your age, and and uh, it really fascinated me when we'd go over to the Illini games and watch that watch them do that set shot. It was, but who else had the shot like that? Well, the one one guy that had a shot like that was uh, Jim Schulte, but I don't know. Schulte didn't play an awful lot, but he was. I noticed he was pictured in the 1952 or 54 team. I'm not sure which one he was pictured with. I saw it in the in the. Yeah. media guide and and so he was he was one of the top eight or nine players and he had a he had a pure set shot i knew him really well i thought i was better than him but he got he, he made the team and i didn't <laughs> he was from dundee well, i just i just was curious because uh, i was kind of between hooper and and uh and dave downing when he came on on board i was, I was already graduated from college by the time he was yeah. he was uh, prominent there at that point so yeah. Okay. Very interesting that no, nobody was doing that jump shot at that time, were they? No, although Breedar developed it in, in the latter years and made the uh, NCAA tournament all-tournament team with a jump shot. And he, he was the only one that had a pure jump shot. Falmer uh, was a driver, but Morris didn't have a, a, that kind of a jump shot. But, and Sunderlies didn't have it either. But, uh, but Breedar developed it and, and made good use of it. All right, Jimmy, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Max Hooper, by the way, we had a caller off the air remind us that uh, he did indeed work on the IHSA telecast he did. for many years. Many yeah. years? Uh-huh. No kidding. That's a quote, many years. So he worked a uh, little Illinois basketball, the IHSA basketball as well. Jason Hegemeyer with us. When we want to talk about uh, tickets, we go to the big ticket, and he is with us. How are you doing, Jason? Well, that's a great intro. I, I uh-huh. appreciate that. <laughs> well, tell us, uh, tell us how uh, you've been uh, kept busy during all this and some of your plans. Uh, the the current information is, if fans are allowed in, it would be a twenty percent capacity, which would be about twelve thousand at Memorial Stadium. How are you dealing with that? What do people need to know about the ticket situation at the U of I? Yeah, one of the things I like to tell people first off, I would say that. Um, just like Ken, I heard Ken a little bit ago, and everything has changed, right? Everything changes constantly on us. I, um, we've been running a ticket office out of our basements for the last three months, and uh, things have, have definitely progressed. We've run through multiple, multiple scenarios of what football games could look like for people, and 
Um, now we're kind of just reacting to uh, the recommendations that were put out by the governor's office last week um, with the knowledge, though, that as, as we continue, things, things could change. So we have a little bit to work on right now. It does say 20% of capacity, but with social distancing as well. So we're trying to figure out what that means. Um, we do know that we're trying to find locations for people that are six feet apart from the next group. And, uh, yes, we're, we're looking at about 12,000 for capacity as of today. We're looking at about 12,000 seats for the capacity at Memorial Stadium. And we're working – we sent out our first piece of communication to season ticket holders – uh, just two days ago, um, once the governor's plan came out, uh, we reacted, and uh, we've we've we're trying to figure out who's in and who's not. Um, with these new with these new guidelines, we we're, we're very sure that there will be some people who, you know, football just isn't in the cards for them this year. Um, gathering in a, in a in a large group like that at Memorial Stadium for some some people, they might have health and safety reasons why that's just not a good idea, and uh, and for others. Honestly, the experience may may not be the exact same because we are going to have to put people in different seats than what they're used to. There's just it's impossible to put people back in the same exact seats that they had and still provide the social distancing that's necessary according to the guidelines. So, we're, we're, we're right now we're going through. We've heard from about half of our season ticket holders so far, and um, you know we're we're waiting for the other half to respond to to let us know where we're sitting at as to who's still interested in, in season tickets uh, for this season. So we're, we're, we're making our way. Um, but like Ken said, everything could change at any moment. So we're moving forward, but also our plans are being designed to give us flexibility as we get more answers. Now, Jason, if, if, I've got, if my wife and I want to go and we've got three kids and I want five tickets, I can get those five tickets uh, uh, right next to each other, right? Yeah, and that's that's – that's why we need to go through the, the process of what we're doing right now. We're trying to gather who is going to come back. And once that happens, after the 4th of July weekend, we're going to send out another communication to everybody who still wants tickets this year to confirm their order quantities. And then we, as a ticket office, once we get all those quantities, we are going to seat everybody based on their donor level and their priority points. We're going to reseat everybody within the stadium for this year using social distancing as our guideline. So, Lauren, in your situation, I'm glad you asked that. We would we would take your order of five and place it somewhere that's six feet apart from the next group. Mm -hmm. Jason, what options do um, ticket holders have who may have already sent in their ticket renewal but uh, may not be sure they want to go to the games? Uh, can that, uh, if they decide they don't want to go this year, can that be rolled over to next year? What kind of options are there? Yeah, uh, that's a, a great question, and, and, and this I'll reveal something that's pretty exciting. I've been excited about for for a while. You know, we after the bowl game, we renewed people, and we did a special renewal promotion. We had an extremely high percentage of people who renewed. I think that shows a sign of optimism of where the program is at, and, and, and we've heard Coach talk about his team a little bit for this year. He's pretty excited about it and expects them to do pretty good. And so I think the fans have responded to that too. So we did have a high renewal period early. Uh, but as, as, you know, COVID hit on Friday the 13th, um, you know, things kind of dropped off and froze up a little bit on us. As we're soliciting people right now to find out who wants to come back, we have offered them options. We've, we've, we've said, you know, the first choice obviously is yes, I still want tickets in 2020. Uh, but for those that choose no, we had three different options listed for them. One of them was 
they could roll their prepaid money over to a deposit for 2021 to, to help pay for their tickets next year. Uh, we also offered the opportunity to take their money that was prepaid and give it as a gift to the iFund. And then we also offered a full refund because we know there are people out there that have been struggling over the past few months. And if, if you're not going to come to football games, if that, if that money can help you with your family and, and your personal situation, we want to make sure that we're good stewards. And uh, we really look at these, these relationships with season ticket holders in the long term. And uh, we, we want to make sure that, that we do what we can to help them get back on their feet. But also we want, we want people to come back in 21 uh, when, when we assume that we'll have a full stadium again. And, and one of the things I, I mentioned, the renewal period and how successful we were with renewals, but even right now when we're asking people, um, you know, hey, are you going to be here for the 2020 season? Do you still want tickets? For those that are saying no, a giant portion of them are saying, keep my money and keep it for 2021 because I want to come back in 2021. And to me, that shows optimism and it shows faith in the program that we're in the right direction. So I've been really encouraged by that over the last couple of days. You know, tailgating is a, a big deal for a lot of people on game day. Kent, you're welcome to jump in on this as well. But uh, right now, tailgating is kind of off the, the the stove, isn't it? Yeah, all indications are that that's probably going to be one that the governor will keep pretty, pretty strong about, and it's all about the large groups. I mean, right now they're – there uh, in his the guidelines are saying pro, uh, it's prohibited tailgate will be prohibited and I it's really based on you know the, the, a lot of the big groups that come in together and there may be 50 200 you know 100 200 people together in in a spot and so that is that is where um, a lot of the issues uh, when they arise that come from so I think we have to count that that's probably going to be that's going to stay as a prohibited activity at our games and that does change a lot of the people's game day experience. So, Jason, I don't know if you want to add anything to that um, in addition. Yeah, I, I, I think that question, we're, we're getting asked that question a lot because a lot of people do want to know that information before they make a decision. And, and honestly, so do we. Um, we're, we're trying to work through that and, and, and find out, you know, just how hard of a line that is and, and what the definition of tailgating is. Um, I, I would say that some of the questions that we're we're we know we're being asked right now. I, I think Kent's right. I think the intention is for large groups, and I keep calling it as tailgating as a sport, right? I mean, like if it's an event, um, that's obviously the intention is that there won't be any of those large type scale tailgates where we have, you know, the smokers and the, the RVs and the campers coming out. Um, but I, I think what we're trying to do is get more of a definition of, of what that really means. And, you know, if, if um, Kent rolls up and, parks his car and opens his trunk and decides to have a, a, a drink with a, with a friend that he's coming to the game with. I think we're, I don't, I don't think that's what we're talking about when we talk about tailgating, but we are efforting that to try and get a, a, a good definition of, of what that is. And once we learn that policy, we will, we'll make sure that we get that out to our ticket holders because we do know that it impacts their decision and their game experience and, and what, what uh, 2020 is going to look like for them. What's the status on basketball tickets? You got to look ahead down the road this time of year anyway. So what's the status on uh, ticket sales for basketball? Well, you know, just like football, we, you know, we went out for renewals right after the, uh, well, actually we timed it up with the, the, the night of the NCAA, what would have been the NCAA championship basketball game. We launched our renewal period um, for, for hoops. And, man, we, we renewed really, really well. Um, we're we're, we're kind of sitting tight on that right now. I think, 
indoor events are something that we're all wondering about and how indoor events will be treated. Uh, we, you know, we just like everyone else are waiting to learn how how that's going to to how COVID will impact those events, and um, we may not know that for a while. And so we're 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 just going to have to sit tight and uh, and wait for some guidance and wait for things to develop over the fall, and, and we'll see where we are with with basketball. Um, but right now. You know, we're kind of just in a holding pattern, just waiting to see what happens. We, you know, I, I, I heard, I heard Josh say yesterday. I think um, super smart that, hey, look, we're going to have fifty thousand kids come back to campus, and we're going to have a couple of football games, and we're going to know right now just how, how, how it is to pull off some of these larger events and, and see what happens. And if we we do a good job with it and uh, things stay steady, it might allow us to do some other things in the fall. But all of these things are, are up in the air right now, and so we're we're just kind of in a, for basketball specifically, we are in a holding pattern. Okay, hang with us a minute, Jason. We've got a couple of callers here. Uh, Rich, sure. you've been hanging on. Go ahead. Yes, thank you. My question is two questions. How do you determine capacity when you have suites that are somewhat isolated versus, say, putting bleachers on the fields, say, back in the 80s? Thank you. Yeah, so suites is that's a really great question uh suites is something that we're we're taking a look at right now trying to determine um, how we treat a suite versus the bleachers the bleachers is pretty easily definable we're trying to put people there and give them six feet of distance across um so that they can maintain their distancing i think for a suite right now we're, we're trying to find out what that definition of distancing looks like in a suite because for a lot of our suite holders they are families or, or and people that bring guests that they they invite their own guests that game they're not they're not going to be seated with people that they don't know and so we're trying to we, we don't have an exact answer on that right now but we are trying to get that definition and, and see what we are able to do in the suite and let's move along to uh gary with a question for kent i think gary go ahead are there still plans to have gene honda work as the public address announcer regardless of how many fans are in the stands yeah so right now the the plan is to have gene with us um you know we always work around his schedule because uh, he has other commitments as well but uh gene is is set to be our primary pa announcer again this year Thank it'll you. be his voice will really boom if there's not <laughs> <laughs> there's only twelve thousand people there in, in the stands but yes he's he's planning to, we're planning to have him back all right gary thanks Appreciate that. I saw Gene Honda yesterday on the golf course down at Savoy. He was in town to visit with some friends. Hey, Tim, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, man. Yeah, my question is a uh, Big Ten allotment of uh, tickets to the away team, predominantly Ohio State. If since there's only going to be 12,000 tickets available, I would hope that the Big Ten would not give any tickets to the visiting team because that takes away from us. And if you really look at the north and west balconies, we can put a couple, no, a thousand people up there because no one sits there anyway. So, I think twelve thousand is a little too less. We need, we need to, uh, to fill at least the top row. Nobody ever sits up there. So, you guys think about that. You maybe we need to petition the governor on having more people there. And the other question is on scalping. Uh, I think players still get four tickets. Is that correct? That that is correct. They can get four tickets. What kind of? Uh, what kind of um, security or, or firm commitment 
to those players or actually you guys that they're not going to scalp those tickets because there are always people selling tickets that I don't know how they get them, but they get them. So what's the security measures going to be on the on the allotment of tickets? And are the players going to be under the gun to not let those people have those tickets? And I'll hang up list your answers, guys. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to try and remember. I think there were a couple questions in there. I think I think the first one, um, look, the capacity number, it, it, that's not up for discussion when the governor says 20%. Uh, we take a look at that, and, and we – you know, we do simple mass, and we know that's twelve thousand. Um, you were you were talking about the visiting team, and as a conference, we have been in discussions. We meet regularly as as a group of ticket managers, and and we are taking some guidance from the athletic directors as well. Look, everybody's in the same boat. We all are going to have some reduced capacity in some form, and so none of us want to be using any of that capacity for the visitors. So the intention for for how we treat visiting teams is we, we really are trying to provide opportunities for the families of those student athletes to come watch them compete. So we are looking at drastically limiting the allotment that we do give to visiting teams, but we're not going to eliminate it. And, and, and that wouldn't be right because we're asking those kids to compete on the field and uh, we do need to provide their families an opportunity to come watch them. So we are, we are going to do that. Their locations might look a little bit different. And I, I, I heard a mention of the East balcony, um, Look, with twelve, with only having twelve thousand people there and having to space people six feet apart, it is very likely that we will have season ticket holders who are used to being in the main stands or in the horseshoe. It is very likely that they may be up in the East Balcony for this year, because we will have to use every available seat that we have in that stadium. And so, I think that's part of the process as we talk to season ticket holders to find out, you know, do you want to come back for 2020 because the experience that they have. Like after we get past the health and safety part of their decision, that we realize that their experience might be a little different as well. And so everybody needs to make that individual decision. And so it's very likely that there will be season ticket holders sitting up in the East Balcony uh, or at the top of the North End Zone or in the Horseshoe that have never been there before. Uh, so that we do think that's going to occur. I, I think I heard another question in there about player tickets and whether you can scalp those. Uh, look, scalpers are not getting tickets from players. Um, we have, if, if you knew the process that we had to go through uh, for NCAA compliance to be able to issue those tickets, you would, you would kind of laugh when you find out how strict it is. We're, we're not even allowed to give uh, a guest of a player. We cannot give them a ticket that has a barcode on it. So, you know, they, they, it's impossible for that to be scalped. They have to be picked up on game day with a photo ID and a signature. So none of those tickets you see outside are being done by players. Those are all individuals who who have decided to get rid of their tickets for, for whatever game you know it may be. That that is probably going to happen this year. And, and and honestly, that is one of the things that we we know is out there that we are having a hard time with how to deal with. Because if Lauren, you mentioned you asked a question about a family of five earlier, if you're only using two of those tickets and you decide to sell three of them, uh, you, you have to know that there's going to be three people coming to the game that are going to be next to you that you don't know who they are and and they're going to have seats directly next to you. So it is a secondary ticketing, scalping, it is a concern, but there's really not a whole lot we can do about it other than say buyer beware and also seller beware. If, you're the, if you own those seats and you keep a couple of them and you sell them, 
you know that there's going to be people next to you that that you, you don't know who they are. Squeeze in a couple of more calls here. Uh, Raleigh, you're on the air. Go ahead. Uh, good morning. Yeah, my question is the uh, number of uh, tickets that are going to be allotted, the 12,000, let's say, are they going to have tickets for all the home football games, or are 12,000 going to be uh, given uh, these two games and 12,000 other people giving going to be these three games? Is that going to be doiled out in that manner, or is it going to be all? Yeah, yes? good question. Good question. We've been considering all of those options. I think right now the intention is why we're trying to ask our season ticket holders what their plans are. We're trying to figure out how many want to come back and how many tickets that would be. Our, inten our first intention is to do season tickets. That is our first intention, and we will try to fill the, the stadium with season ticket holders. If we have an overwhelming response where, you know, where we have so many request tickets for 2020, um, we might have to get into some of that split seasons or, or some different scenarios. But, again, you know, we've said before we need to stay flexible. But as of right now, as we're soliciting season ticket holders for their intentions of coming back in 2020, we're trying to find out what that number is going to be. We, we need to know um, if, if we can fit them within the stadium. So that's what we're working on right now, and, and, uh, and that's where we're at today. One more call. Ron, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi. My question is, if uh, restrictions are eased a little later in the season, will the, tick, the seating arrangements change? Yeah, it's a great question, and that's something that, honestly, is the thing that's been the hardest to plan for, and we are trying to plan for that. So, um, again, with the caveat of everything can change in the next couple months, Right now, the plan is to have people in season tickets, but we may only deliver a couple games at a time to people. And doing that gives us the opportunity, because we haven't given any tickets out for some of those games, it gives us the opportunity to reseat people again in a different configuration that might be a little bit tighter if we're allowed to, to allow us for more capacity to sell more tickets. And then we would announce an on-sale date for whatever games um, are remaining in, within that future uh, alignment. So um, it's a great question. It's a, definitely a challenge, and uh, it's you know it's one of these things where we're going to really need everybody to be patient this year because I think that's what we all want. I think we all want to have more people inside that stadium for some of those games because we we thirst for what that looks like and we know what that feels like and. So right now, when we you know we know we're going to start the season with this limited capacity, and then as we go from there, you might if you're a season ticket holder, you might only get a couple games to start off with. You might only get the tickets for a couple games, and if we have a break in the schedule, a couple weeks um, where we can re-deliver tickets, that's what we're going to do. We're going to hold them specifically just so we can have that opportunity to flex up our capacity if we're allowed to. Hey, Jason, good stuff. Appreciate it. We probably will need to have you on again here sometime between uh, now and September, but we appreciate your time this morning. Yeah, anytime. I appreciate you having me on. Okay. Hey, we're, we're lucky to have a guy like Jason running our ticket operation because he is on top of this, and I'm always more impressed uh, every time I hear him go through all this because it is a fast-moving, complicated issue with in this situation specifically. But I, anytime we've had big events and we've had to – 
make decisions. Jason's on top of it. So we're, we're very fortunate to have somebody like Jason running. A lot there. of work. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he and his staff have been on this for, for several weeks and a couple months of trying to figure out the best way to – Going to deliver for two games and re-deliver. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? Yeah, well, if you may have to re receipt in between those deliveries, might right? Take so. somebody from the sports information department, and put them in the ticket office. <laughs> just <to> <laughs> <laughs> whatever, wherever they need us, man. I'm telling you right now, we're just hoping to be working somewhere, and wherever they need us is what we'll do. Hey, Jason, we'll thanks again. Yeah, we'll draft you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jason Hegemeyer with us, ticket manager. We've run over on this segment. A couple of other things. Do you expect the Big Ten to to make any kind of announcement on how? Things are going to work with football at any point. Is it? I do, and I is think is it I all think, or nothing with the Big Ten? Well, or? I don't know. I think those are. It's yeah. hard to, to put definitive answers on that. I do think we'll have some direction here in the next. What's today? Today's the twenty seventh. I would say in the next couple, two to two to three weeks, probably tops, that there will be some direction. We're all then we're at a point of really almost cut off and no return. Right? We yeah. got to have a real clear definition of what's going on. So I think the next two or three weeks we'll have some, if not sooner. Uh, real clear guidelines on, on what's going to be the conference is doing. I've got one more question, uh, non-related to this uh, last 40 minutes of conversation, but a question I get asked every day. Is there anything new on the uh, U of I and Stone Creek project? <laughs> yeah, you know, of course. <laughs> I, I, I told somebody the other day, we had a, um, I was at the uh, HOA meeting with Josh and, and uh, uh you know, the Atkins group folks uh, on the Tuesday before COVID shut down our, 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 li our sports lives. And, you know, the, we were all together in this big room, right? There was all the uh, people who lived out at Stone Creek were very excited. They were happy, you know, with some of the initial stuff. Um, since then, I can tell you they've continued working towards an agreement, uh, continue working towards um, how this is all going to work. And I think really very soon we'll have a, a lot clearer announcement about that. Um, so that people can hopefully uh, answer a lot of those questions. But yeah, I was there on that Tuesday night. Uh, uh, it was it was exciting room, uh, and that's probably the last big group I've been a part of. <laughs> was that was that night? So, um, but yeah, I think real soon we'll we'll have a, a much clearer idea of where that's headed, and exciting news about that. Good stuff, Kent. Always appreciate it. Hey, this is. We probably could take it up to two hours on, uh, with just Jason answering ticket questions because exactly. we all know about – we didn't even get into volleyball yet, right? And there's a lot of questions that have been coming into his office regarding – State Farm Center? Volleyball. You know, it's possible. Uh, it's possible. But what if there – you know, right now, what if there are no fans allowed for uh, for indoor sports? Oh, oh. You know, if there's no fans allowed for indoor sports, then – Might as well play at Huff. You're probably playing at Huff. Uh, but there's other concerns about Huff, too, um, just – the, the amount of traffic that goes through there on a, on a given day because it's that's those are classrooms in there as well so um unanswered questions still working towards that i hope we, we all hope to have some answers to that stuff as soon as soon as well but hey like i said you know we can make decisions based on what we know today and that decision is totally uh based on the information we have now knowing that things will likely change in two weeks four weeks six weeks eight weeks 12 weeks i mean it's going to be uh, a, a lot. We have to be very nimble in how we do all our make all our decisions. What are you and Jason doing next Saturday <laughs> <laughs> on the Fourth of July? <laughs> Lord and I are doing a show. We were talking before we started this one. What are we going to do next week? And Lord said, "Let's get through this one first, yeah. and we'll, we'll figure a bit that." Well, but let's talk about it because I mean, this, this is you know our fans are are super important to us, and we and we're trying to communicate as much as we can. But until we have more 
more information. It's really, you know, we can, we can give you our general thoughts. And, yeah. and as we get more and more specifics, we can certainly share it. And we, we love doing that. We appreciate it. Thanks to all the calls. We'll take a break and be back with more. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS after this. It is 10-18. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. With Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly with you until 11. The lively last 40 minutes, Kent Brown, Associate Athletic Director in the studio with us, and U of I Ticket Manager, Jason Hegemeyer, joined us as well, talking about uh, the start of football and what that means ticket-wise. And we had several callers, so we're running a little bit behind. And Will Leach, who joins us about once a month from uh, the state of Georgia, has been kind enough to uh, to hang on with us. And we appreciate it, Will. Good to uh, hear from you. How's it going with you? I actually have a couple of questions about tickets. Is there, uh, <laughs> is there a way I can find out? That's okay. No, no, thanks for having me as always. Well, there's a lot going on, as you know, and a lot of logistics, and everybody's going through this uh, situation for the first time. And uh, we'll start and talk about uh, Major League Baseball. We had uh, Tom Ackerman from KMOX on as our first guest in the uh, first hour and talking about the Cardinals and everybody else getting set to come back. Are you convinced uh, that you will actually see Major League Baseball games uh, at the end of July? Uh, I wouldn't say convinced. I do, however, think it's more likely than not. And I think that, you know, I, I find it interesting that, uh, the, you know, if, if certainly if you're on social media and you see the reaction to each one of these, like, positive tests that come in that you see in the NBA and you see in baseball and uh, college sports is maybe a little bit different, but uh, uh, certainly baseball and uh in the professional sports, you would think that like the leagues are falling apart and they've been completely taken surprise by all of this. But really, to a man and to a woman, every uh, commissioner has said, "Yeah, we were expecting some positive tests." And frankly, you know, you look, you, you saw the interview with Adam Silver and Michelle Roberts, who uh, has the players' meeting in the NBA. She actually, I said, it was what 16 out of 302 players tested positive. They both were very actually. I mean, they, the, the ideal number is zero, but they were expecting it to be worse. And I think that. You know, the idea that uh, they would that a, a few positive tests, which we're going to see a lot of when everyone starts showing up next week in baseball, is going to derail them. I, I don't think that's accurate. I think that, that I think that that's why you have the testing. So uh, I do think that your bigger issue is not so much players currently testing positive as much as you have what's going on in Texas and what's going on in Florida. To me, those are the larger concerns and the fear of the baseball plan, right? Because they're doing it in all the home games. They're not really in a sort of bubble thing. But I do think, you know, I, I don't think it's wrong for them to try. I know there's been a kind of an idea now that somehow uh, the play, we shouldn't even be trying to play sports at this point. Like, I feel like, you know, a lot of the country, uh, for better or worse, that I think some, some places where the tests are, uh, the positive cases have been down, I think that a lot of things are trying to open. People are recognizing that the virus is something that we're going to be living with for a considerable period of time. I don't quite understand why sports, I think college sports might be an exception to this, but uh, why sports has a unique obligation not to try to get back, uh, try to get back going. So I think that if you look at the health and safety plan, it is very detailed. It's certainly more detailed than any of the businesses here around me have <laughs> that are open. So uh, we'll see it. We'll see how they do. But uh, I do think that they can handle some positive tests and still get through it. Well, this is Lauren. I, I, this business of tickets, uh, what's going on? You're, you're right there at the University of Georgia. What's going on with uh, 
the school in terms of and the SEC in terms of their football and and ticket sales? Yeah, they haven't announced anything officially here. Uh, there, there, there's been certain ideas floated. I think actually Illinois comes farther along with this, talking about the number of specific fans that might be left in the stadium. Uh, I don't, the state of Georgia has not made any specific kind of notions about that of what may or may not be open. So they're still kind of up in the air on it. I mean, listen, they have they they just announced for, uh, uh, on Friday that this, uh, after Thanksgiving, uh, school's going to be remote uh, at Georgia. So you know they there's a, they're just still kind of figuring that out. I think the idea right now, the last I think currently their hope is to be able to have a portion of capacity, but there's been no announcement on that. I think what they're probably doing is put like right now, if you were to ask them, they would say everyone, everyone's going to be there while knowing that that is not actual a formal announcement and they're going to be willing to back off. One interesting thing about the University of Georgia, you know, we're hearing all these stories about Clemson having all these positive tests and Alabama having all these positive tests. Georgia has all of its players back here, but they are not announcing whether uh, they're not announcing how many players have it. They're keeping all that information private. And so they could have just the best outbreak as Clemson has right now. We don't know. So uh, I think that uh, they're keeping it pretty close to the vest. I feel like a lot of SEC schools are keeping it close to the vest. I don't need to tell you guys how serious they take uh, football. Uh, down here, it is considered a, mat, a matter of uh, considerable state interest uh, whether or not they play football here. And so, uh, if they are, if there is any way to, uh, uh, I still think they're going to try to do fans, uh, maybe at a reduced capacity. But uh, you know, as we've learned throughout this entire process, trying uh, trying to make a plan or guess what's going to happen next is uh, pretty difficult. As you analyze this and, and look, turn toward basketball, the NBA, they've got a short schedule planned. Do you see them be able to go forward with this? I think so. You know, I think so. I think a lot of it, you know, one advantage that the NBA has is there's a lot of buy-in. This is an advantage because the NBA probably has that over baseball. There's a lot of buy-in between the players and the teams, which is to say that, listen, right now all these players are being tested. And then once they're in the bubble, there, there is an understanding of how someone is to behave in that bubble and where the places you can go. And they're setting up almost like this ecosystem just for the players. Now, I still think there's questions for the staff that will be coming in and out of there because I think the bubble is really kind of more for the players and the, and the and people involved with the teams. But I don't know if they close up the bubble for, like, hotel staff. or uh, That's something they've got to figure out. Out a little bit, but I do think you know. I'll put it this way: when LeBron James uh, goes to you and says, "We're trying to win a title this year, and if you sneak out of this bubble because you want to go do something other than play basketball, you're going to put this entire season uh, at risk." And I think that makes a difference. I think the, the the way the players are respected and the leaders are respected, the NBA is going to make a difference when it comes to behavior. Whereas baseball, I think the net's a little looser on that, and I do feel like there's still some players that maybe don't feel this is exactly the safest way uh, to go about it. So I think, you know, I, I think there's more buy-in from the players in the NBA that will work. But, you know, to me, look at someone like Rudy Gobert. Like Rudy Gobert is going to be known the rest of his life as the guy that uh, touched the microphones and, and, and kind of mocked the, the coronavirus idea. Imagine being the player whose irresponsibility stops an NBA season. <laughs> like, imagine how that, that ends up uh, being done. That could happen. In, in a way, I feel like the NBA is almost in more danger for uh, an outbreak shutting them down 
than baseball. Like the NBA has like a big outbreak. Everyone is all in this enclosed area. It can spread very, very quickly. Whereas baseball, again, not only are they outside, but there's a larger, you know, there's a, there's a, there's, 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 there's distance, distance between players. There's a larger area where they can go. I, they, and I feel like in the NBA has to keep that bubble title tighter. I think they're better, going to be better at keeping that tighter than baseball will. But uh, the question, of course, again, the virus is going to make all the decisions. Well, baseball is going to look a little bit different. It's kind of um, regionalized scheduling, although we haven't seen the schedules yet. But uh, the um, Central Division is going to play this 40 games against uh, their opponents in the National League Central and 20 games against the American League Central, and that'll work its way through baseball. It'll be more of a sprint than a marathon, and you got to get off to a pretty good start. Yeah, as a Cardinals fan, I have to tell you, I do not mind that the Cardinals have more games against Mike Matheny managing the Royals than any other team in baseball. I feel like that's a competitive advantage for the Cardinals right off the start. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I uh, forget, I, try, I will never miss the opportunity to insult Mike Matheny's managing. Um, but I would say that uh, certainly that sprint idea is really just kind of remarkable when you think about it. I was doing a piece for MLB.com this week about how you know, Aristides, Aristides Aquino, he was a player for the Reds last year when he came up. He's a big, tall guy. In his first month, he hit 14 home runs. He won, he won player of the month. It looked like he was this superstar. In that, and then the next month, he hit like 115. Because pitchers figured him out, and he was out of the lineup. But to me, that's what's remarkable about this season. If, uh, if, if this season happens, one month, all it takes is a guy that's getting hot for one month, and he's and it's as incredible of a season. Like he'll, you can you can push your team into the playoffs by yourself. Uh, that's an interesting thing about to me about baseball. This is the closest baseball is ever going to get to the NBA, right? The idea that like one hot player can basically carry you to the playoffs, but you really don't see uh, something. Baseball usually uh, lots for you. To, to, it's a marathon. You, know, you, you have bad stretches and things don't go well. That's generally something that happens in baseball. That's not going to be the case, that, case this year. I mean, the idea that one bad month can ruin your entire season is kind of amazing. To me, I think if you're handicapping, I'm going to be working on some stuff about this this week, I do feel like the two, the two key things are going to be depth. And by depth, I don't mean like being able to, uh, to necessarily fill, have good backups as much as depth up and down the lineup and up and down the pitching staff. Uh, to me, you're not going to have, even if you have the best starter in the world, this is not a season for like a, a Nolan Ryan or a Jack Morris where someone just comes in and you know, he gives the, the, you need your hoss, it gives you a ton of innings. There are not a ton of innings for, for starting pitchers to be done this year. I think you're, particularly early on, I think you're going to regularly see pitchers because of conditioning pitch three starting pitchers pitch three four innings tops so the idea that like a big strapping starting pitcher is going to just take over i don't think it's going to be the case this year so you're going to want to have like great hitting teams and teams with a lot of pitchers that are quality i think those are the ones that are going to thrive in this frankly this makes me a little worried about worried about the cardinals i feel like offense is uh, offense is not necessarily their strength uh and i do feel like their pitching depth their their, their rotation depth having a guy like clarity Jack Flaherty is an incredible pitcher, but I don't know. Uh, I think his utility is reduced a little bit in a short season. Well, you know, uh, if, if you look back on last year or any of the recent years, the, the bullpens have uh, wind up pitching from the sixth inning on anyway. Now this is even going to be more so. Now you're going to have to have two closers, one one to come in in the fifth inning and one to come in in the eighth inning maybe or whatever. It's, 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 it's going to be all about – I think you're right. I think depth in pitching is going to be everything in this short season. 
prepare for your fourth inning specialist. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like like that, that is really where we're going to be going. And I think that's kind of fun, right? Like, I think that's kind of fun. Uh, listen, the way I think to handle uh, this season is to recognize that it's just not going to look like any other baseball season. That doesn't mean, however, that it's not legitimate. Like I wrote this week about the 1981 baseball season, which was the last, probably the closest season analogous to this. That was the year they had the strike in the very in the middle of the season. And you know, if you go back, the, the best team in baseball won 66 games. Like it was a strange, strange season because of the of the labor strike. But if you were like, I was pretty young. I don't remember that season because I was very young. And so I look back in history, and I don't see any of that. I see the Yankees and Dodgers played this great World Series. That was Fernando Mania. Like, I think that in the moment, uh, I, I guess, like, the form of the season will look the same, I think, in history. It's just the husk will feel a little bit different. But I don't know if that will ultimately matter. I think if you win the World Series this year, it absolutely counts. I think it absolutely counts. I've heard from people saying, well, this well, great. This would be the year the Indians would win the World Series. I'm like, yeah, it would be great. The Indians would have won the World Series. You finally did it. The idea that this is somehow illegitimate, uh, I, 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 if, this all, if this all comes about and happens, I think, if anything, it'll mean more because uh, it'll feel that much more special considering how close we would have come to not having a, a season or a World Series at all. Will, we appreciate your time. Maybe next time, I've said this before, but maybe next time when we talk to you, we'll be talking about actual games. <laughs> oh, yeah. Someday. Someday. But otherwise, at the very least, we'll talk about games. Oregon, tickets to games. Have you heard anything about how to get tickets? to games? Okay. We'll, we'll, uh, thanks, guys. Thanks, yeah, guys. That's all right. We appreciate it. We'll find something to talk about for sure. 1031 WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Alani Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Back with you after this. And this is Lanai Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Steve Kelly and Lauren Tate. We've been talking it over since 9 o'clock. We're heading towards 11. 356-9397 is the phone number if you'd like to uh, join in. Our next guest, one of the Judson twins from Lanai basketball history and high school basketball history, Phil Judson, is on the line with us. Good morning, Phil. How are you? Good morning. Nice to be with you. Rob Judson's dad. How's old Rob doing? Me. How's your son Rob doing these days? He's doing fine. He's up at Marquette right now. They're going through a lot of safety precautions in the locker room, the offices, and things like that. Well, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, your career, not only when you got to the uh, University of Illinois, but before that. Uh, Hebron winning the uh, state championship, you and your twin brother Paul on that team. It went 32-1, and and I was looking at some, some old film of that uh, state tournament game. Is it true that you only played five home games that year? Well, there's one correction I want to make. We were 35-1. and one. We won 35 basketball games and lost one. And we had seven home games okay. out of six, six games, yes. Well, uh, Phil, this is Lauren. How many, how many uh, students were at Hebron that year, and how many seniors? Town of Hebron was 650. The school enrollment was about 95. We had 42 boys. In our class, we had nine girls and nine boys. And like I mentioned to you before, uh, we were never without a date. <laughs> Every girl had a boy, huh? 40, 42 boys. And out of those 42 boys, uh, 18 came out for basketball. 
But the, but the cliche is, on the varsity basketball team, Lauren, we had only five. We had three seniors and two juniors. When we went up to play a game against Waukegan, Joliet, whoever it might be, um, we didn't go up on the floor and warm up right away. They may be up on the floor warming up, but with only five ball players, we were we didn't go up to wear ourselves out. We didn't go up for our layups and some sh- uh, shots, set shots, and then from free throws, and we were ready to ready to start the game. Our reserves came from the first game, from the freshmen and sophomores. They came up and sat on the bench. Otherwise, we only had five ball players. Well, now I remember when uh, I think you played uh, Pinckneyville won the state back one of those years and. They only use five players. Did did you just pretty much stay with five players on on the court the whole game? Grinch uh, Quincy, we use only five ball players. That's correct. Is that right? And I I always wanted to ask you. You had you had that championship in 1952, and two years later in Indiana, Milan beat Muncie, a big Muncie team. Uh, Milan had 161 students. You had 95. And yet, their uh, their program was memorialized with a with a with a uh, a, a movie uh, starring Gene Hackman. Uh, did did you ever think you know the, why they the, why they chose Milan and not Hebron? Well, let me tell you a little history about that. When we were in the army, there was a there was a person by the name of John Daly who came from California, uh, movie studios and whatnot. He knew George Goebel. George Goebel went to the University of Illinois. And we got a signed picture, Paul and I, from George Gold. Okay. And John always came out to our trailer where Leslie, my wife, and I, I lived. And all he wanted to do was talk about Hebron. He'd bring a couple of his pals. All he wanted to do was talk about Hebron, Hebron, Hebron. Well, later on, when we came back and Hoosiers came on, and we had a TV, but at that time you had to get up and change channels and change this volume or not. Well, we watched, watched the, 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 the movie. And at the end, the credits came up. And we just sat there and watched the credits. And what do you think came up? John Daly, director and producer. Uh-huh. Now, when you came, came to the end of the film, the next time you watch it, Lauren, you watch it, how the camera pans in on a ball player down the end, shooting a basketball by himself, a little ball player. And then it goes up under the wall, and it shows a hickory. And it shows the eight ball players, a coach, and the state tournament trophy. And it says underneath it, state champs, 1952. <laughs> they, got your, they got your year instead of the Milan year, huh? That was a quick, quick uh, history of how that happened. I'll be darned. Yes. Well, what, tell us about uh, Brother Paul. Uh, the two of you played for the University of Illinois, and you went to Final Four, I believe, what was it, that 52? Yep, that was 1952. Uh, I'll tell you, our, our, I'm going to go back to our team. We had five ball players, like I said, but four of us grew up in, in grade school playing basketball, and we played together probably for about seven years. Oh. When we were in eighth grade, uh, we had a good basketball team. Howie, our brother, older brother, coached us along with another person called, called uh, Coach Oglesby, and they always have said, you guys are good, but we lack one piece. Well, at the end of our eighth eighth. Uh, grade school year, Hebron consolidated with, with a small town west of us by the name of Alden. Alden brought about 30 kids to Hebron. One of them was an eighth grader called Bill Schultz, standing six foot five. He'd never seen a ball game, basketball game. He didn't even know what it was. 
you didn't know what what the what the basketball word meant. Well, in four years, when he was a junior, Lauren, he was a leading scorer with 24 points in the in the state tournament. He stood six ten and a half. He was no uh, by his junior year. He had good feet. He had good hands. He was not a clog out there. And I remember when we had dances at the school, we'd tell Bell, keep dancing with the girls, Bill. Keep moving those feet. <laughs> and it really helped him, I think, because he was no clog. You could throw him the ball. He could catch it. He could run up and down the floor. He had good defensive skills. And that was a puzzle that we needed to go in between us. Because we had four good ball players, And we were all specialists, more or less, in our, in our position. Paul was a guard. Kelly Spooner was a guard. I was a four. Don Wilbrand was a four, and Bill was a center. We didn't have three centers and two guards, or four guards and one center. And we each had a position. We specialized in it, and I think that really, really helped us. Visiting with Phil Judson for another couple of minutes. What do you remember about the '52 state championship game at Huff Gym against Quincy? It looked to me when I looked back at some old film that just about everybody in the place was was pulling for your team. Well. That, that, that's, that's true. They were, you know, people thought we were an underdog, but we weren't. We were rated number one in the state, nine out of the 13 statewide polls. The last five weeks, we were rated number one. So when we went into that championship ship game playing Quincy, and Quincy was rated number two, uh, the, 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 our, our reputation was on the line. And, and at that time, People didn't scout a lot and whatnot. Coach Aaron watched Quincy play, and he said, as he was going over the scouting port a little bit, he said, you're going to see a, a defense that we've never played against before. It's called the zone press defense. They use it against Taylorville. And with Billy Ridley playing for Taylorville, Billy Ridley, as good a ball player as he was, who went and played at the University of Illinois, ball handling, basketball skills, and dribbling, he could not dribble through the zone so he said, make sure you guys pass it. And we had one one thing that Taylorville didn't have. We had Bill Schultz. He stood six ten and a half. We throw the ball into him. He looked weak side, throw the ball to weak side. We got the ball across the floor quite quite easily. So we had one thing that Taylorville didn't have. And Bruce Brothers, uh, way back when, uh, when we were junior, we went to Du Bois State. And we got there, and a couple of kids came up to us and said, there's Bruce Brothers over there. We didn't know who Bruce Brothers was. Quincy came in second in 1951, and Bruce played varsity ball for three three years, went to the state tournament three years. But we didn't know who Bruce Brothers was. We didn't know a whole lot about Quincy. And I think that was one thing in our favor as a team when we played played uh, Joliet and Wall King and Rock Island. So, so we, we weren't at all against these teams because we didn't know a whole lot about them. We felt very confident in ourselves, and we expected to win. And so when we started against Quincy, we had the same same feeling. However, it took us an extra, it took us an overtime to beat them. We we beat them by uh, uh, 64 to 59. Well, Phil, I, we appreciate you filling us in on that, and uh, I want to mention that uh, your your brother um, Howie Judson is 95 years old and one of the oldest living former Major League Baseball players and pitchers. And uh, Paul is uh, where? Where is Paul living now? Uh, your brother, uh, twin brother, Paul. He's in West Dundee. West Dundee. Okay. Well, say hello to him for us, and and uh, you can speak for him. Uh, you guys had a great career, and and you you know you're still remembered by everybody here because of Hebron and and being twins. It's uh, 
you, you must still uh, hear a lot of people talk about that even today, huh? Now, the one question they like to ask is, is, how can a small school with only five ball players be so good? Well, well, number one, we had a great coach. and He came from Elgin, and he went to the state tournament with Elgin three years in a row, and one of them was against Taylorville, who won 44 ball games in 1945. He yep. sat on the bench, and he came to Hebron. Um, we four played together for, four, for seven, eight years. We had a tough schedule. We played Joliet, Kankakee, Danville, Oak Park, DeKalb, Waukegan, Barrington. And then during the, during the to say, tournament time, we had to compete against 753 other schools that, and came out number one. And uh, we came uh, Rock Island and, uh, and Quincy, of course. And they were, they were really the basketball team. We had no injuries. We had no sicknesses. Uh, like I said, we all specialized in, a, in, in one, one, one position. And the coach is a fundamentalist. He really stressed fundamentals, defense and rebounding. <clears throat> the thing that was surprising, Lauren, was that <clears throat> we didn't have anybody to practice against. <laughs> That's right. We had, five ball, we had five ball players, and we all got <laughs> Division One scholarships. Now, who did we practice against? I think we had, could have practiced against the JVs. If we had a JV team, we might have been a little bit better, but we had no one to, to practice against. And the key for us was Bill Schultz. I'll tell you what, when we played Elgin in the finals of the Elgin Regional, that was the first time we were ever behind at halftime. We were behind four points. We won 49-47. to 47. But let me tell you about scoring. Don Wilbrand scored five points. I scored six. Paul scored seven. Kenley Spooner scored eight. That's only 26 points. Now, if you were coaching against Hebron at that time, I mean, you won. You beat Hebron, no doubt about it. But we had Bill Schultz. He scores 23 points, and we get 49 points out of it. And we hold Elgin to 47 because of our fundamentals. And that's how we beat Elgin. And we had Bill in the championship game against Quincy. He scores 24 points, playing against Bruce Brothers, an All-American. And we win the ball game in an overtime. Bill Schultz was the key to our team being really successful. Well, Phil, we, we, we appreciate you very much coming on with us. Uh, if I'm the, if I'm the uh, producer, I would have picked uh, Hebron over Milan, but I'm not the producer. So <laughs> we'll always have, uh, we'll have a great spot in our heart for Hebron. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll talk to you again. Thanks for the call. Goodbye. 10.49 is the time. We're back with more after this. Stay with us. And we've got Herb Gerke on with us. Herb, are you there? I am there. I'm good to talk to an old friend again. Well, I'm telling you, we had a lot of fun in school, didn't we, together? And I, I, I made a really bad mistake the other day, and I'm ashamed of it. But uh, when Max Hooper passed away, I ran a list of all the guys, Kerr, Falmer, Breedar, for Morris Peterson, Fletcher Center, all the guys that died, and I threw your name in there mistakenly. And I'm glad you're still with us, Herb. Tell, are you okay? I'm okay. I'm very good. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Two Final Fours at Pekin. You played for the Chinks, and that's changed. Then you came to Illinois and, and uh, were on two Final Fours at Illinois, and now the Fighting Illini, uh, the, the Chief Illiniwick is gone. I think you jinxed those two. That might be possible, but I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us about playing for Dottie Hawkins at Pekin. You were number one in the state that one year, weren't you? We were listed one, number one going into the state tournament. We had only lost one game. That's my senior year. 
and we got beat by Pinkneville in the afternoon. I think it was like 36 to 31 or something. They held the ball quite a bit on us. Yeah. We were a high-scoring team. And then we ended up getting third. Then my junior year, we got fourth. Okay, and then you came to U of I, and I always thought, uh, and what I saw of you on the court, Herb, is you were the hardest driver. You and Clive Falmer uh, w- would go to the hoop like nobody else. I, I didn't want to guard you. You you went to the basket too hard. <laughs> was that your strength, do you think? Strength was definitely my speed and quickness. Speed and quickness, yes. Well, tell us about the team in 1950. Let's see, let's take the 52 team that went to the uh, – went to the final four tell us about that yeah. team well we had uh alternating centers peterson and kerr uh, uh, kerr was the sophomore and i was senior and uh, we had a lot of experienced players rod, rod fletcher was also on the team he was a senior when i that sent that year and we uh, got upset by uh, i believe it was st st john in our junior year yeah. And Clyde Bevelda and Kansas won the, won the tournament. We ended up getting third. So my junior year, we we both got third. And my junior year, we played Kentucky in um, in Madison Square Garden. And as I recall, we got beat by either one or two points. And they went on to win the championship. And, and then we got third. Up, and that was up in Minnesota. Yeah, that was, uh, that was 76-74, the Kentucky game. That was in 51. And then in 52... Yeah. Uh, you lost to uh, St. John, sixty-two yeah. to 50, sixty-one to fifty-eight. So, those are those are. What do you remember about those games? Well, they were very exciting. Obviously, when you're going for a championship, and in those years, of course, um, the only teams that are eligible to be, get in the tournament were the big. You had to win your championship, uh-huh. and there was only sixteen teams to start with. And uh, so, yeah, you know, you could get to the finals pretty fast if you won two or three games and then you were there. But uh, it was really a really we feel really bad about the losing to St. John's because we felt that we had the players, the centers to to uh, stop Clyde develop. He was their team. He was Kansas City's team that ended up winning it. And we had two real good centers that we could alternate to play against them. And that was really uh, the most upsetting thing that ever happened to me, I think, in, in basketball was that game. Yeah, you know, one year before, when you were a junior, you didn't have Kerr that year because Harry Harry decided to sit him out because of uh, – he came in at mid-year, so he, 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 he wanted to get three full years out of him. And in that 51 turn, – in that tournament game against Kentucky, Bob Peterson fouled out and you didn't have a center, did you? That's right. I recall too. Yes, I, he didn't have a good second string center, and I don't even remember who it would have been. Uh, but uh, that's true. Uh, and then Kerr was a sophomore then the next year and played with us, and of course went on to a great career. I remember going to his wake here a few years ago. He's an yeah. outstanding person. He became a good, good uh, talker at, for the uh, Bulls over the years too, and good speaker there. It, uh, so I, I, I really enjoyed uh, enjoyed him. Herb, we got one more minute here. Run down real quick uh, where you've been all the years. I started out down Southern Illinois. I, I was a teacher for 37 years. I taught down in town called Woodlawn. Went to Watsika for four years. Went to Argo for four years. Went to the Stag for 21 years. And then I, the last six years, I was athletic director at uh, in Tinley Park at, at um, Andrew High School. 
Well, Herb, it's been great talking to you. And if I can get a card game going, I'm going to call you because we need to we need yeah, to yeah. sit down. You took some of my money when I was in school. <laughs> Do you know that? I know it. I'm, I'd be glad to try to get some more again. <laughs> you probably would. <laughs> the last time I last time I saw you, you looked at me and you said, "Deal." <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Great to hear from you, Herb. Same to you. Thanks for calling. All right. Bye bye. It's Herb Rookie with us here for a few minutes. Lauren, your recall is amazing. Why? Just some of the stuff that you remember back in. Well, everybody remembers when they were in school. Did you you talk about recall? Did you hear what Phil Judson said? He told you how many points guys yeah, scored in games, exactly. and, how, and and he he told us several times that they couldn't have done it without Schultz. Yep. Well, that wraps up uh, this edition. Thanks to Tom Ackerman from KMOX in St. Louis, Kent Brown, and Jason Hegemeyer from the U of I, Will Leach, and a couple of former Illinois basketball players, Phil Judson and Herb Gerke. We will be here next Saturday on July 4th doing a program, so we hope to hear from you then. Some kind of program, right? We'll find something to do. Fireworks. On on WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. This is Steve Kelly for Lauren Tate. Have a good weekend, everybody. This is CBS News.